So let's talk about Mary a little bit, shall we? Yeah. Yeah. I like that enthusiasm. Mary. We see her in her perfect outfit. We saw her last week up here, you know, in her blue and her blue and everything was clean and looked perfect even if she kept going off stage when the baby was supposed to be there. If you weren't here for the pageant, you missed it. But then we see her depicted in pictures, right? Halo around her head. Depending on what kind of theology you follow, she is always the perfect one. Pure and innocent from beginning to end. And that's the picture that we often paint in the church. And I think it's probably an imperfect picture. There's probably not as much truth in it as we'd like to think. Because Mary was probably somewhere between the ages of 13 and 15 when we meet her in the story. It was the age in which girls became betrothed because Joseph, we think, was probably somewhere 17, 18, 19 He was not an old man, as some people depict him to be, because he was already middle-aged. Because most people only lived to be about 35 during this time. So just think about that for a moment. This is sort of the normal course of things for people of this age to become engaged or betrothed. But they had not yet lived together. That's how the story goes. And that would be traditional. They would become betrothed. There would be a period of betrothment. Things would happen. You know, all of these rituals and routines. And then they would become married and and they would go on and, and live their lives together. So Mary's a 13 to 15 ish year old girl, but probably knows already how to take care of a household. Because there was not schooling for girls. There may have been for boys, or at least apprenticeships, but girls were learning how to take care of households, how to bake bread, how to clean, and Mary is also in the family of the priests of her tribe. We hear this in the story, if you read before this, that she she went to visit her her, uh, cousin Elizabeth, And Elizabeth is married to Zechariah, who is a priest in the temple. And so Mary is related to this priestly line. And so probably has some some honor within the tribe that she is a part of. The one to whom she is betrothed is in the line of the great King David. And so these families are coming together, this priestly family and then this Davidic line are going to come together in this joyous thing. But here's what what we don't hear in that story. These tribes, these 12 tribes of Israel are living against an oppressive, living underneath an oppressive government. The Romans are one in a long line from the Assyrians to the Babylonians Now the Romans, who have oppressed the Israelites. Taxation is somewhere around 90% in order to keep the coffers going for the the wars of Rome. The Pax Romana is really a piece that's kept with an iron fist. 
We just keep building more chariots and swords and training more soldiers in order to keep the peace. Any sort of rebellion against Rome is, is completely put down with violence. And so that's the world that she's growing up in. And yet in her tradition, the great prophets were always talking about there was going to be a reversal. That the Israelites were always supposed to be the ones who were there for the foreigner and the alien. They were the ones who were supposed to be a great nation to bless all the other nations. But yet you have to wonder, after all these years of oppression, what kind of hope did they have? How are we supposed to be a great nation if all these other nations are oppressing us and keeping us down and taking from our hands the very work that we do to feed their war engine? And yet, here she is, this teenage girl, and an angel comes to her and says, Greetings, favored one. Favored one. I mean, I don't know. I just just wonder with all of that story, how would you feel living under an oppressive government with high taxes? Knowing that there was, there, there, you know, your future was just bound up in the hope that this man that you were going to marry was going to take care of you. That was your future. Greetings, favored one. It says she wondered at this greeting. And then she said, oh, well, you're going to have a child and he's going to be the most high and he's going he's to be the leader of the people of Israel and, and, and he's, and he's going to be the one in the Davidic line. And, and of course she says, well, uh, what was that? There's some biological stuff that, even though she wouldn't have used those words, there's some things that haven't happened. We haven't even been in the same household yet. And then like, oh, don't worry. It's a holy thing. And then she says this incredible thing. Let it be with me as you've said. She says yes to the hope of God in the midst of oppression, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of probably what was daily violence in, in and around her to keep the peace, in the midst of a world that looked like it wasn't going anywhere good for the Israelites, she clung to this hope that God, this angel, was giving to her in this message even though it is so strange and so outside of the realm of the normal, she says yes to God, making a home in this world. And then she sings this beautiful song. We call it the Magnificat, and it's been set to music, and and we sing it, and we listen to it, but I think we miss some of the subversive nature of it. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. 
Was she remembering all those stories of how God brought her, her foremothers and forefathers out of slavery into the promised land? And how the prophets had called them to remain faithful to the covenant, to treat each other well, to lift up the lowly. But they had broken that covenant time and time again. And they had been oppressed by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. But she says, the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He has shown great strength with his arm. has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. Do you notice this is all in the past tense? It's as if she's singing this as if it's already been accomplished. And yet she's living in a time when it hasn't been. The lowly are still being punished. The powerful are still on their thrones acting in ways that don't help the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. As if it's already been completed. She trusts that God is in the midst of what this announcement is and says yes to God making a home for her and for her people and for the covenant that she believes in. This song follows in a long line of songs that are sung from the Old Testament in through the prophets of how God's kingdom is going to reverse the order of the world, of how we have put the world together with the powerful on their thrones, lording it over the lowly, not looking out for the needs of the poor. There are always these signs of great reversal. And I think so often, those of us in the church, we don't hear it anymore. It just sounds like pretty language, like a beautiful Mary up on a pageant stage. When I think what it ought to do is it ought to challenge our hearts and our minds. Because when we say yes to God, I believe we are saying yes to this reversal. We are saying yes to the covenant that God put in place with the Israelites, that The people of God are to be the ones who are to be a light to the nations. To be a great nation, to bless all the other nations. We are to be the ones who are looking out for the lowly. Who are feeding the hungry. Who are challenging those in power to do the right things. And when they don't, to knock them off their thrones. Not with violence but with the efforts of our lives. Because as much as the world has changed in 2,000 years, there are still teenage girls living under what feels like oppression. Maybe even in this country. I think it's something like one in five children in our country, in the United States of America, live in poverty in what we claim to be the richest society ever upon the face of the earth, we still allow people to live in poverty. Around the world, 
There are many boys and girls living under oppression, persecuted because of who they are or who they were born to, living under oppressive governments with high taxation, without a future. When we say yes to God, we, like Mary, are ones who are clinging to the hope of this redemption of not only ourselves individually, but of the entire culture, the entire world. That the powerful, when they misuse their power, would be knocked from their thrones. That the lowly would be lifted up. That the hungry would be fed good things. That is the hope and the promise of this child that is in her womb. This one whom we celebrate now as the risen Lord. The one who calls us to follow him into the world for God's justice and God's hope. God makes this world our home and calls us as those who follow Jesus to live into the kingdom that is promised in Mary's song. So today, may this challenge us. May this cause us to reflect on the joy that we have in celebrating the birth of Christ among us. And as we look forward to the birth of Christ in our hearts, in our homes, and in our culture, may we commit ourselves, as Mary did, to say yes to God to bear this covenant and this kingdom into the world that all people may be fed, that all people may have meaningful work, that all people may know that they are worthy of love and hope and grace, that all people will come to know that God is a God of love and that they are beloved by God. Amen.